would this morning, let's stand to our feet, if you're able to, for the reading of God's Word, Revelation chapter number 2. Appreciate that song, Esther. And uh, sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, sometimes God doesn't say anything. And it's hard waiting on the Lord, isn't it? But it's always worth it. And it's so good to see so many in God's house this morning. And I, I was listening to everybody singing this morning from the back room and sounded like an angelic choir back there. And I uh, appreciate you praying for me this morning. The devil's been attacking all week. And uh, I'm just not going to sit down and shut up. I'm just going to do what God's called me to do. And you just pray that God gives me the strength this morning. And and uh, believe this message is timely, especially in this day and hour that we live in. We've been going through... This series, uh, we're three weeks into this series on the seven churches of Asia Minor, and uh, I, uh, t today the title of the message is The Danger of Drifting, and, and I'm afraid so many in, uh, in religious circles today, uh, Christians, Bible-believing Christians, have drifted. Uh, they, they, they're out, they have no idea how they got to where they are. The one thing that keeps us united is the truth. And we must be men and women of the truth. God's given us his word, and it's not what I want, it's not what you want, it's what thus saith the Lord. And this is a Bible-believing church, and I pray that God would use his message this morning to speak to all of our hearts, but we're going to begin reading about this third church out of these seven churches in Asia Minor We'll begin reading in verse number 12 in chapter number 2. The Bible says, To the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Now I think most of us know Hebrews 4.12, don't we? The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even, even the dividing asunder of... We know that verse, don't we? So we know who's who this is describing here, the one with the two-edged sword, and it says in verse number 13, now notice, I know, and the emphasis there is on that personal pronoun, I know. You see, there's nothing you and I can hide from God today. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about this church. This church isn't a building, it's the people of God. And it says here, I know thy works. And where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. When God says he hates something, we better pay attention to that. Verse 16. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. 
To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. And let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for this time in the Word of God, for this precious time to be among the people of God. And Lord, I pray that you'd give me strength this morning, Lord, clarity of mind and thought, Lord, that I would say only that which you would want to be said here this morning. But Lord, may we have listening ears and obeying hearts. Lord, may we be men and women of the truth. I think of so many in our church, and I pray for them, Lord, that we would not drift out into the waters of this world, but that we would be anchored by the truth of the Word of God. Now bless the message this morning and use it as only you can, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's Word this morning. If you look on this map that you see on the screen this morning, we started into these seven churches, and of course we started with the church in Ephesus. Now I'm not going to go into a history lesson this morning, but these are seven literal churches that existed that many believe, and I think you can see a lot of the comparisons of these churches with the different ages and time periods historically that the church has gone through or is yet to go through. If you look at some of those dates up there, of course, the first church mentioned is Ephesus. Just by looking at it, you can tell we've gone from Ephesus, last week Smyrna, this week Pergamos, and then next week Thyatira and Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea the seventh of these churches. Notice how they go in clockwise order. Also notice how historically, date-wise, each one of these picks up where the last church historically left off. The church began with Jesus Christ and his disciples. Can I get an amen? amen. The church did not begin with a man like you and me. It began with the God-man, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This church is God's church. It's not Pastor Keeley's church. It's not your church. It's the Lord's church. When I think of the church that we are a part of, the church began, we see there, not only with the Lord, but in Ephesus on what is called the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter number two. This first church, Ephesus, we looked at a couple weeks ago, span from about the day of Pentecost till about 100 AD. The very next church, Smyrna, picked up where that church left off from about 100 to notice 312 AD. Now again, many things, you can go back, I don't have the time this morning to cover it, but a lot of things happened as far as church history during those years. But if you look at the church today that we're going to look at, Pergamos, Notice the dates, 312, 313 to about 590 A.D. Now, there is something that you will, if you're paying attention this morning and you know anything about the religions of this world, it, it fits right into what God is showing us in this church known as the church in Pergamos. And I want you to think about that as we look into this this morning. You see... The church in Pergamos, I want you to know before we get into the outline this morning, that this was a church, just like I believe Bible Baptist Church is, that is a church that was doctrinally pure. They believed the Word of God. 
but they had compromised, they had drifted away from the truth, and that's what this letter here is about, is the Lord is calling this church back to the right path. Pergamos was a church that, uh, excuse me, a city that had the first temple that was ever dedicated to Caesar. I believe we've got a picture of that there. You can see now, again, Caesar was a man. But oftentimes, what many do, even in this day we live in, is they put man upon a pedestal, and God's never intended us to worship man. God says, I am the Lord God, thou shalt worship me and me alone. But so many times, like in Pergamos, we see that man wants to worship man. It was a city that had a, a fervent promotion of the Roman culture. They had a temple there that was dedicated, if I can pronounce this right, to Asclepius. He was the god of healing. And you can see a picture of this part of today, what's left of this temple. Now, what's interesting is, is that this uh, god, little letter G, I can emphasize, was one of the Greek, Greek mythology gods, uh, the son of Apollo. And Apollo had, uh, I guess, many sons, and as a result of this, this was one of his sons. Now, interesting about this son, how it fits into Pergamos, is that this uh, son was the god of healing. Now, it's interesting, and I, I know we have some in the auditorium this morning that are caught up in the medical profession, and I'm not against you, I'm not down on you, but notice the next slide here. Does this look familiar? You still see them use this insignia even today because it's associated with healing and medicine, but it goes back to Greek mythology. It goes back to this God, the God of healing. Listen, Jesus Christ is the great physician. There's a lot of people that believe that God's... Listen, can I tell you, if faith healers are the real deal, then why don't they get off of television and go from hospital to hospital and start emptying the hospitals out? And honestly... Quite a few faith healers that I've seen wear glasses. <laughs> Physician, heal thyself, you know. Now, folks, listen, I'm going to tell you something. What I'm trying to get you to see from this, this city, and by the way, this city sounds very similar to the day and hour that we're living in ourselves, is that Satan, if you notice in the passage, it was called Satan's seat. Now you're saying, boy, I wonder if I'm sitting in Satan's seat here this morning. No, 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 no. Satan's seat is not one chair. It was where Satan had a stronghold over this entire city. And I believe that if America keeps messing around, America is going to become Satan's seat in this world. We've got to be careful because look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, isn't it interesting that the God of healing, they chose a snake. And Satan is referred to as the old serpent. It's interesting how you start to look, listen, the Word of God is very clear on some things, not clear in, in every area, but I'm going to tell you this morning, when I look at this passage, here's my question before I get into the message, and I, I'm, I'm very serious with this question. If I tell you the truth this morning, 
will you still love me? Because sometimes the truth is not easy to hear. But as God's people, we need to hear the truth of the Word of God. The Bible says in John 17, 17, listen, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is what? Truth. Now the word sanctify means this, to cleanse from sin. To cleanse from sin. And in our lives, listen, we want God to set us apart, that sanctification But here in this, he's saying, look, my truth will help you to understand what Satan is about in this world so that you don't drift off the course that I have for your life. So many people don't see. You know why? Because Satan is subtle. Satan is crafty. Satan is a deceiver. I went into the I had some automobile work done the other day, and I know my family laughs about it, but, you know, I just don't like it when somebody takes me for granted. And maybe that doesn't happen to you, but I went into a place, I paid for some automobile work done to my car, and and uh, I just assumed that they fixed my car, and I had signed off on the paperwork, and I picked up my car. Now, one of the things, if you're familiar with it, it's called a high-mount brake light. It's that brake light on the back dash of your car. Some of you have them. And, uh, you know, you can't see that while you're driving because you have to be standing behind the car when somebody hits the brakes to see if the light goes on. You guys with me? <clears throat> and so I picked up my car, and, and uh, a couple days later, I was following my wife around, and, and uh, it, I was in my, my truck following her with a, in, in the car, and, and the light wasn't uh, lighting up. And I thought, well, that's strange. So she called them and said, you know, hey, listen, you guys did some work, and it, it's not working. They said, that's fine. Come on back in. So I took the car back in, and the guy, I stood there at the counter. The guy starts telling me, he says, well, you know, he says, we did the work to it. And I said, well, it's still not working. He says, well, let me check. And he tries to tell me that it's an LED light. And I said, okay. I understand that. He says, well, he says uh, that no, we can't even find that part. And I said, listen, I paid to have the work done. I said, I don't care what kind of light it is. I said, just fix it. I already paid for it. He said, but you don't understand. He said, that light is it's, it's $269 and it costs $389 to fix that light. He said, you didn't pay $389. I said, no, but I signed right there that says that you were going to fix that light, and you're going to fix that light. And so the guy, the guy says, well, I don't know what to tell you. He says, I'll have to talk to my boss. And I said, where is he? And he says, well, he's, he's off this week. He's on vacation. And I said, well, <clears throat> then, then you're going to have to get a hold of somebody. I said, are you here to tell me that this place of business cannot make a decision when the boss is on vacation? And, he, and so he called me back an hour later, and he says, listen, he said, we're going to go ahead and fix it for free. I said, okay. So I, w- I hadn't been able to get by there, one by the other day. And I went in, and the guy that I talked to on the phone and I stood at the counter with was working the register when I, when I went in. And when I went in, he saw me. And he helped me, but then he, he quickly turned it over to the guy next to him. Didn't even want to deal with me. <laughs> so the guy, they start fixing the light. They bring me out into the shop to show me how they had to take the whole inside of the car out 
and he says to me, he says, look, we would have never done this. He says, but, you know, he says, apparently there was some misunderstanding. And I said, no, there was no misunderstanding. I came in, told you the work that I needed done. You told me that you were going to do the work. You charged me for it, but you didn't fix it. I don't care if it's LED, uh, ACD. I don't care what it is. I said, you're going to fix it. And the guy says to me, he says, well, I just wanted you to see it. And I says, you're not making me feel any better. I says, maybe help you guys in your shop feel a little bit better about it. So he gives me the paperwork when I'm walking out the door, and it says right on the paperwork, customer threatened to call corporate. <laughs> because he feels he was deceived by, and he named the, the place that they worked at, and I, and I was like, I said to my wife, I said, number one, I never said I felt like I was deceived. Number two, I never mentioned the word corporate. But yeah, they deceived me. They told me they fixed it, and they didn't fix it. But you know, that's exactly what the devil does, is the devil is very subtle. And I want you to see that this morning as, listen, this again, this church, notice first of all, had the Lord's approval. They had the Lord's approval. Now, the Bible says in verse number 13, look at it. He says, I know thy works where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou uh, holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Now notice that they, they had the Lord's approval, but notice it was a difficult time. This was a dangerous place for a Christian to be. And listen, if you understand, if you live for the Lord, even in the United States of America today, it can be very dangerous from time to time when somebody finds out you are a Christian. I mean, we need to understand that what Satan is all about. It says here that this was Satan's seat. You know why it says that? Because Satan had his major sights set on Pergamos. He was influencing this city. Their ideas, their opinions, their goals, their hopes, the views of the majority of the people. Listen, his influence encompassed their philosophies, their education, and their commerce. Every last bit of Pergamos was being controlled by Satan. And the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He had a stronghold there. Look at Ephesians 6.12. And by the way, this is something that ought to be a reality in your life and mine, is that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know what Pergamos was? It was Satan's headquarters. He had set up shop there. And he was not interested in Bible-believing Christians being there. Now, Satan is very subtle in how he does things. And he does it much in society and in Christian realms today is he'll say, look, that's okay if you have a Bible as long as I've corrupted it a little bit. That's okay if you go to church, but it, I'll just make sure that, that maybe there's enough distractions that you won't hear the messages that God would have you to hear. See, the devil will do everything he can to try to make it a difficult time, and that's what it was in Pergamos. It was a difficult time, even though they had the Lord's approval, but notice that they had a definite testimony. Look what it says in the Bible again. It says that they held his name. You know what that means? 
they exalted the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Psalm 34, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Look, I didn't come to exalt myself this morning. I came to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. The Bible says that Jesus said, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And you know what the church in Pergamos was doing? They were lifting up Jesus. You know, there's a lot of churches in our city today, and they're having some kind of meeting, but they're not lifting up Jesus Christ. And he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. If he's not being lifted up, then guess what? Nobody's being drawn to Jesus this morning. You see, I think about this church in Pergamos. It was, it was a group of Bible believers that were exalting Jesus. They held his name, but then notice what else he says. He says, you haven't denied my faith. You know what that means? That they were holding to the fundamentals of the faith. Now, that's a phrase that's a, a little bit of an older phrase. The fundamentals of the faith. Now, some people, especially younger people, they're like, what's a fundamental? Well, a fundamental is something that is an essential foundational truth that serves as the groundwork of the Christian faith. That's what a fundamental is. Like if I was going to be playing baseball, and I see sometimes baseball players, they kind of get in what they call a slump. And so what they do is they go back to the what? The fundamentals. Basketball players, they kind of get in this funk where they can't uh, hit a basket, they can't make a layup, they can't. And so instead of standing out in three-court land trying to hit all these big shots, the coach says start doing layups all over again. They go back to the fundamentals. Well, see, this group of believers in Pergamos during a difficult time where Satan's seat was, guess what they did? They held the faith. They did not deny the faith. The Bible talks about what some of these fundamentals are. Listen, I believe these are not only fundamentals of the church in Pergamos, but these ought to be our fundamentals. Can I give you a little taste of it this morning? Look there in your notes. They believed in the deity of Jesus Christ. See, I still believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Bible, listen, here's a great verse. Hebrews chapter number 1 and verse number 8. Listen, unto the Son, capital S, he saith. Now think about that. God the Father is talking to God the Son. And here's what it says. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Did you catch what the Bible just said? God the Father called God the Son, God. Listen, every one of us this morning ought to realize one of the fundamentals of the faith is that Jesus Christ is God, and He was God in the flesh. He was God eternal, that He is, he is the God of this world. And listen, we should believe the fundamental of the deity of Jesus Christ. Another fundamental would be the virgin birth of Christ. This was another area that the church in Pergamos did, did not deny the faith. The Bible says, the prophet Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Over in the New Testament, Matthew 1, 23, A virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth the son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. You see, I believe that Jesus Christ was conceived of the Holy Ghost, that Mary, yes, was his earthly mother, 
but his father is his father in heaven. Joseph was just used of God in the life of Jesus. But listen, those in Pergamos did not deny the deity of Jesus. They did not, did not deny the virgin birth of Christ. They did not deny the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. Where the Bible says in Acts 20, he hath purchased the church with his own blood. I love Hebrews chapter number 9. The Bible says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkled of the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, they believed in the blood atonement. Listen, only by the blood of Jesus is what the scriptures teach. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And see, this is one of those fundamentals that they held to. Look at another one, the bodily resurrection. You see, they believed that Jesus was crucified that he was buried, and that he arose again on the third day, as Paul wrote to those in 1 Corinthians 15. Another one of those fundamentals of the faith that they held to was the inerrancy of the Scripture. The Bible says all Scripture, not some, not what we want. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, Truly furnished unto all good works. And listen, if that's not enough, look what Peter wrote. Knowing this first, that no privacy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Hey, listen, you read about right here. Look at verse 13 again. He says, I know thy works. He talks about how they haven't denied his faith he says it there in verse 13, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr. I read back a little bit this week about this man named Antipas who was martyred for his faith. Those fundamentals I just described to you, people have given their lives because they've believed those fundamentals of the faith. And Antipas was one of those and Antipas refused to follow in his day, in Pergamos, the heathen worship. And somebody, this is a true account, when they told uh, Antipas these words, the whole world is against you. And by the way, that's what the devil would have you to believe, that you're the only one. And when they said to Antipas, the whole world is against you, here's how he replied, then I'm against the whole world. And history records that Antipas, these people were so cruel that they created a, a brass bull animal and they left an empty cavity inside of it and they burned this man alive inside of this brass bull. Now you and I might think, you know, boy, that is, that's unbelievable. But listen, what I think about is the unshakable faith that Antipas had in Jesus. And guess what? Here it is in Revelation chapter number 2. We see how he earns a mention in the pages of the Holy Scriptures. You see, there was a, many of us heard about the killing 
the shooting in Virginia Tech on, July, on April 16, 2007, and among many of those students, there was one student named Lauren McCain. She was one of the students that was killed. She was a freshman from Shawnee, Oklahoma. This 20-year-old was like Antipas in her day. You see, being a Christian on a college campus nowadays is not an easy thing to do. And the, gun, the gunman showed up, began his reign of terror on that day on April 16th, and Lauren's life was taken. And as he began to go through her things, this 20-year-old had written on her personal website these words, not knowing that her life would end. She typed these words, the purpose and love of my life is Jesus Christ. She said, I don't have to argue religion, philosophy, or historical evidence because I know him. You know what Lauren had? She had the Lord's approval. And do you know what the church in Pergamos had? They had the Lord's approval. But I want you to see secondly, because with the Lord's approval in this passage comes the Lord's accusation. Now we have to be careful about accusing people of things. But you better believe that if the Lord makes an accusation, He knows the facts. And what I see here is that there was something that was wrong. They were guilty of something. Notice what it says in verse 14. But I have a few things against thee. There's the accusation. By the way, that'd be a good statement for you to underline in your Bible because, listen, I don't ever want God to have a few things against me. And the Bible says here that the Lord began to make an accusation. Notice, because of a corrupt company. The Bible says in verse 14, I have a few things against thee because thou, thou, thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Now what you're reading about here in this church that was doctrinally pure but it had started to drift and compromise with the truth was this was now a group of people that were not faultless anymore before the Lord. As a matter of fact, here's what had happened. They had let the world, now watch this, they let the world drift into the church. That's why a lot of churches today don't look like churches. You say, Pastor, what's a church supposed to look like? Well, first of all, the Lord better be there. And where the Lord is should be a spirit of humility and this spirit of worship and praising Him instead of man. And there was a compromise. The world had crept into the church. The very word Pergamos actually is one of those words that's a combined word that if you split it up and look at the meanings of those words, it literally means a mixed marriage. Now, God's never intended for the church, the people of God, to be a mixed people. Now, I'm not talking about race. I'm talking about knowing the Lord. You study the Word of God. God's never intended, it, listen, we should worship the Lord. And this world has, Satan has many gods. He's, he's the God of confusion is what he is. 
And what happened here is that the church in Pergamos had entered into an unholy union with the world. The church had married the world. Now, look what the Bible says, if you don't believe me, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Remember, I told you, if I tell you the truth this morning, you're still going to love me. Look what it says. Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will, what? Receive you. Look what Ezekiel the prophet said. Her priests have violated my law, and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane, neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I, will, and I am profaned among them. John the Revelator writes, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. You see, those that were in Pergamos, they, were, they had suffered because here's what happened was they were being tricked by these false teachers and they were compromising. They were selling their faith in the Lord for comfort and for peace. Hey, listen, read what the Bible talks about for the first three and a half years of what is known as a time of tribulation because there's going to be someone that's going to come on the scene and all he's going to say, like you hear at every Miss America beauty pageant is what the world needs is peace. And he's going to promise peace, peace, peace. But you know what's going to happen at the end of that three and a half years? He's going to break that promise. You see, the devil is a liar. He's a deceiver. And that's exactly what those that were being used by him in Pergamos, they were a corrupt company. Notice, he, I, you also see in verse 15 a confused command here because the Lord says, I have somewhat against thee. Look at verse 15. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now we've already looked at the last church that was mentioned this matter of the Nicolaitans. Who these people are is they're infiltrators. They're infiltrators. They are people that as the Bible talks about, they're teaching the doctrine of Balaam. Now, I'll give you a quick education this morning from the Word of God. The doctrine of Balaam is an uns unscriptural, unspiritual chasteness. In other words, teaching people to not be chaste, to not keep themselves unto the Lord. What they were doing was they were leading people astray instead of leading them to the Lord. Now, anybody who's going to be someone that you want to be around, be under their teaching, be under their guidance is somebody that's going to lead you in the right way instead of the wrong way. And there was a confused command that was going on here because they were teaching the doctrine of Balaam. Listen, does this sound familiar? The leadership of this day in Pergamos, they were teaching that the clergy were above the members. And that only certain people had access to God. Now that sounds very familiar to me. Because when I was a kid growing up, that's exactly what I was taught. I couldn't go to God. I had to go to a man and hopefully he went to God. But what does Jesus say? Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. And if any man, notice, any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Now what the leadership in Pergamos was doing is they were causing confusion among the church 
in Pergamos. Now, part of the thing we have to understand, and it mentions it here about Balaam and what was going on. Let's look just briefly this morning at the story of Balaam. If you go back in the book of Numbers, you find that King Balak, who was a wicked man, he followed the prophet Balaam's advice, and what he did was he began to make friends with the nation of Israel. He began to invite the Jewish people to worship and feast, but here's the key, at the pagan feast, at pagan altars, and the Israelites partook of that. They got involved in pagan worship and involved in those pagan feasts, and they began to mingle among the Moabites, those people that were not God's people, and as a result of that, they began to worship Baal, and God's wrath was poured out on them, and 24,000 of them lost their lives because of that. Now you say, how does this act of Balaam, this ancient history, apply to the believers in the church here in Revelation chapter 2 in Pergamos? Well, here's, here it is right here, and I hope you've been catching this. There was a group in this church in Pergamos. Listen now. There was a group in this church that thought that there was nothing wrong with being friendly with Rome. Hey, listen, it's not going to hurt. It's not that big a deal. I mean, look, is it really going to hurt us? I mean, is it, it, you know, what harm would it be to affirm our loyalty to Caesar. That's really what they were saying. Can I tell you that we should have only one allegiance and it is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people have stood at a stake, have been drowned, have been beheaded because they would not deny the Lord Jesus. Jesus said if if God be God, he says, but if, if Caesar be Caesar. You know, listen, we need to understand there is a separation between this world and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what does Jesus accuse him of here in this passage? He accuses him of spiritual fornication. And it was that spiritual fornication that cost them as a church, as the people of God, their testimony for Christ. Listen. I hope and pray that you'll pay attention to these words that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Look at these words. Would to God you would bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear... Lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtleties, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might bear well with him. Folks, listen, there are a lot of people today that are passing off everything known to mankind other than the truth of the Word of God. And you and I have to be discerning about the dangers of drifting. Winter was coming on and the hunter was realizing it might be a cold winter and so he decided he was going to grab his, his shotgun. He was, went out to the forest. He was going to shoot a bear 
and that he wanted to, to, to get the, 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 the coat uh, from the bear so that he could keep himself warm during the winter months. And he saw a bear as he was heading out into the woods. He saw a bear coming towards him and he had his gun raised and he was starting to take aim. And the bear said, wait. The bear said, why do you want to shoot me? And the hunter said, because I'm cold. And the bear replied, well, I'm hungry. So maybe we can reach an agreement. So in the end, the hunter was well enveloped with the bear's fur and the bear had eaten his dinner. You see, we always lose out when we try to compromise with sin. In the end, what sin will do is it will consume us. And this church in Pergamos that was doctrinally pure had started to drift. Folks, listen, when the Lord tries to get our attention and says, there's some things that I have against you, that's the time we need to say, listen, I need to make some things right. I don't want to get away from the truth because the truth is what makes us free. But I want you to see the third thing that the Lord shares with this church in Pergamos. Notice the Lord's admonition. To admonish means to advise. It means to counsel, to caution. And the Lord comes to this group of believers and he gives them two things that he admonishes them about. Notice the first one. He tells them to reconsider. In verse number 16, the word is repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against thee with the sword of my mouth. So he commands them, and here's what he tells them, as his children is, you need to change your hearts and change your mind and change your practices or else I will come quickly unto you. Listen, I don't, I don't want to aggravate, irritate the Lord Jesus. I want the Lord to be pleased with this church. I want the Lord to be pleased with my life. Uh, listen, and we studied already in verse 13, Antipas had felt the sword of Rome but the church in Pergamos would soon feel the sword of Jesus Christ if they did not repent. What he's talking about here is he's talking about present day judgment for disobedience. Look what Isaiah said in Isaiah eleven four. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. You see, just like those two churches we've already looked at, the church in Ephesus and the church in Smyrna, the church in Pergamos was a church that needed to hear what the Lord was saying. Are you hearing what the Lord is saying this morning? That's kind of interesting because when I went back in my studies, there's no Hebrew word for obedience. When you study it out, the one that hears is to obey. See, if we're going to obey the Lord, then what we've got to do is we've got to hear him. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it or obey it. You see, this morning you and I have to say, Lord, if there's something in my life, if there's something in my heart, if I've drifted away, if, listen, I, I somehow have gotten away from the truth, Lord, please bring me back 
And Jesus says, here's how you do it. You need to reconsider. You need to repent. Change of an attitude, change of your hearts. Turn back to God. And not only the, the Lord says to reconsider, but then he says receive. Now, I love this verse 17. I, I spent a lot of time this week just on this one verse. I mean, uh, my wife had asked me, she said, hey, hey, you got the outline for Sunday. And I, I mean, I was just on this one verse. And some of you theologians in this auditorium this morning probably know a little bit more about this than I do. But I'm going to give it my best stab, all right? Now, you look at this verse. Look what it says. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will, will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Now, I'll tell you something like that right there. They don't teach you that in Bible college. I'm sitting there looking at that verse. I'm sweating bullets. I'm like, Lord, what is all that? And I my mind went back to when they had the wilderness wanderings and how God provided for his children. How many of you would be honest this morning and say, God's provided for me? Yeah. God's been good, hasn't he? God's good all the time. But the Bible says here, the hidden manna. You see, he provided manna for them, but it, what he's instructing them is, look, instead of church and Pergamos eating those things that are offered to idols, what I want you to understand is, is that you need to learn to feast on God's holy food. You know, God has some food for us, doesn't he? You read, look what it says in Psalm 78, he rained down manna upon them to eat and to give them, here's another phrase, of the corn of heaven. Did you hear that? There's going to be corn in heaven. Hallelujah. Look at John 6, 32. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. It didn't come from Moses, but he says, My Father gave it to you the true bread from heaven. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. See, I have to believe, you know what the hidden man is? It's the Word of God. What you and I need, what, listen, what a church that has somehow drifted off course needs to get back on track is the Word of God. You see, we don't need some seminar. We don't need some psychiatrist to come through here. We just need to get right back to the Word of God. But then I moved on because I saw the provision, but then I saw what I'll just call this morning the prize Look what it says here. He says, and I'll give him a white stone. And in the, sto in the stone, a new name written, and no man knoweth saving he that receiveth. Boy, that was a good one right there. I was thinking about taking that one right there back to your class, Brother Flynn, and just seeing, letting your class just argue and argue about what that would be. Brother Guy would say this. Brother Roman would say this. You know, Brother Richie would have to say this. Say, Pastor, what is it? Don't have a clue. I studied it out, and there's, honestly, there's about three or four or five things. I told Brother Adam the other day, there's, there's quite a few things that would fit, and it wouldn't be wrong, because back in this day, what would happen is, if somebody was tried for something, and they were acquitted, they would give them a white stone. 
But if they were not acquainted, they'd give them a black stone. It fits. Uh, I read an account where a white stone, back in this was a true custom, ancient Roman custom, they would award white stones to the victors of the athletic games. And I know a lot of times you talk about the wreaths, things like that. They would offer these white stones. But interesting that history is that the winner of the contest would have their name inscribed on that stone and then they would have it kind of like a, a victor's banquet that they could go to but they had to show them the stone with their name written on it that fits there's a lot of things that fit but you know when I look at it I think that what Jesus is promising here is that if we would listen and we would get back to being approved by the Lord that we would be overcomers instead of drifters. But it all comes back to one thing. We have to listen. God's trying to get the church's attention. Now, is he talking to Bible Baptist Church? Maybe. But I believe there's a lot of churches around this world that need to come back to this passage. Look what it says in Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them what? Slip. You know what it means to slip? It means to drift. And what's happened is, is God's church has drifted away from its moorings. It's drifting away from the truth. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Let's bow our heads this morning. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Lord, I thank you for speaking to my heart, speaking to our church. Lord, what a wonderful sight to see your house full this morning. Lord, I don't even know everyone that I'm speaking to, but Lord, you do. You know their hearts. Lord, we're not against anyone this morning. Matter of fact, every word that I've said, I've said it because I love you and I love them. But Lord, if there is something in our hearts that used to be there and it's no longer there or we've got away from what we used to do or what we used to believe, Lord, I pray that you'd bring us back. Help us not to be a drifting church, a compromising church like the church in Pergamos became. Lord, help us to be a church that is approved by you. Bless this invitation this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand this morning with your heads bowed? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning.